right, if you would, please take your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 25 is where we'll begin. Um, that song was really strong there, Chris. Uh, I had the opportunity uh, maybe a year ago, maybe a little over that, I asked Chris to give his testimony to the teen- teenagers one night. And uh, Chris has a great testimony. I call him Chris. I should be calling him Brother Dyer. But he has a tremendous testimony. He shared that with the teenagers. And that song is really good. I know that probably has a special place in Chris's heart, just from what I, I know a little bit about his testimony. And uh, 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 I know a lot about Chris. He's a great man. I'm thankful that he's part of this church. And I'm thankful to call him a friend. So Exodus chapter 25 tonight. Now, I don't know how long this sermon will be. And I have an idea of how poor it will be, so I apologize in advance. Um, we're going to do something that I'm not super comfortable doing, but we're going to uh, almost hop through um, a few different passages of Scripture. They're all regarding the same topic. Now, they all have to do with the same ideas, so I'm not hopping from one passage to another passage to another passage trying to prove that this is legitimately in the Bible. But uh, I am going to be hopping from passage to passage, and so I'm really going to try teaching tonight how God wants us to go from point A of an offering to point B of an offering to point C of an offering. Now, hopefully you're at one of these points. Now, point C is going to be when God does a miracle in our life and in our church next Sunday, but I hope that you're somewhere between point A and point B at this point uh, in your trying to figure out what God wants you to do and how open and receptive you are to His will in your life and in the life of your family. I hope that's where you're at. But if you're not, I've got great news. It's not too late. See, it's too late. The Cowboys can't win the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, even though we got Blandino'd, even though we got robbed, uh, well, Brother Marshall might disagree, but even though it's too late for them. But the good news is when it comes to religion and Christianity and Christ, it's never, never, ever too late. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about getting from point A to point B to point C. Exodus chapter 25, we'll start reading in verse number 1. It's very important we understand exactly what the Bible is saying tonight. Verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Now, anytime Moses writes a book and he speaks, I think it's important to listen. Anytime David has his wisdom or Solomon gives us his thoughts on a matter, I think it's a good idea to listen. In the New Testament, when Paul writes something, I mean, direct revelation from God, I think it would be a great idea to listen. But when God speaks, you'd be a fool not to hear him. So the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hairs and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wool and, or wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones set in the ephod and and, uh, in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall you make it. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on the sermon tonight before we begin. Lord, I pray tonight that you would do a work in my life, 
I pray that this would not be a sermon that is just spoken, but is not yet marinated and infected my own heart. Lord, I pray that you would also do a work in every heart in this room. And we'll briefly talk about that tonight, Lord, but I don't know how much value I place on what you're doing tonight in this service. Lord, I want you to do a great work. And I hope that somehow you would also send a desire into every Christian's heart that you would move in their own life. And Lord, reveal a truth to us that maybe we were unfamiliar with before tonight. Or even if we didn't know it, Lord, remind us of the truth. Lord, tonight, please recall to our minds some great thoughts, some great uh, morsels in the Word of God. And I pray tonight that you would do a great work in our presence. I pray and ask all these things in your Son's precious name. Amen. In my life, I've had the opportunity to take many uh, trips that I would consider uh, long journeys in vehicles. Uh, I remember when I was very young, Dad would go out of state to go pick up a coon dog or something like that, and I'd hop in with him, and we'd grab, you know, health food. We'd grab, like, three-day-old gizzards and a Pepsi, and we'd just get on the road, man. We'd go pick up this dog, and we'd sit in a car for five hours and pick up the dog for five minutes and drive back five more hours. For a 10-cent dog, we spent 10 hours in the truck. So I've had the opportunity to do that. One time I was, this was a unique deal. In four days, I went coast to coast. I started in just north of Los Angeles. I drove all the way down the southern border, down I-10, came to Dallas, came to Texas, and then went up to Tennessee and four days later found myself in North Carolina. Man, I went coast to coast. So I, I've had the opportunity to take some pretty long trips. Being that I went to school in California, you all know that I drove that trip probably no less than eight or nine times going back and forth, back and forth from here to California. And 10 hours of that trip is actually quite pleasurable. From here to, say, El Paso, I think Texas is beautiful. I, I enjoy driving through Texas. I think it's just the best state in the Union. If we made our own Union, it wouldn't probably break my heart. But, you know, I love Texas. And so that, that part of the trip, I can handle that. I'm looking for antelope. I'm looking for deer. I love that. But once you hit El Paso, something happens. It's like all of it should be a landfill from there to California. It is some of the ugliest driving you've ever done in your life. And... And so many times I would go with my dad and my mom, and we'd all pile in my truck, and we'd head out to California. But there were a few times when it would just be me and my mom, and we would go out there. And what I've learned from these trips is I'm not an excellent driver over long periods of time. Now, I can do it for four or five hours, and I, and I can handle that. If I'm really, really pushing, I can maybe get six or seven hours out of me. But after that, I just I get tired. I get a little grumpy. And, um, and I just can't handle that driving thing. And for you professional drivers, man, y'all are impressive. The way y'all, I will say you have a bedroom that you're rolling in, but it's still a cool thing nonetheless that you can do that. But I, I just can't handle it. So from here to California, where I went to school, is about a 20, just over a 20-hour trip. So before we ever left, me and my mom and my dad, we would all sit down and we would get like a tentative road plan. We would leave here at such and such time, whether it was 4 in the morning or whether it was 8 in the morning. We'd figure out when we were leaving. And then we would drive and we would have a goal city, like a city that we wanted to reach that city by a certain time. And then we would 
get a hotel in that city. And most of the time we'd pick big cities because hotels are cheaper in large cities, especially when you're doing the Priceline thing. You can bid on them, get them dirt cheap, and then you get there and they tell you, sorry, sir, we have you one king bed for all three of your family members. And you're like, I do not want to sleep between my mom and my dad tonight. That is not, I do not want to do that. But nonetheless, Priceline will give you a good deal every once in a while. So we would do that. We would we would plan on leaving here at certain time. We would drive 10 hours or 12 hours, and usually we'd find ourselves somewhere in New Mexico. And, and that was our goal, and that was our plan. And really what it was to do is to make sure we were pressing towards a goal. Now, sometimes we didn't meet the goal. Sometimes we got to, oh, you know, El Paso, and we're like, we don't even want to start driving anymore. And we'd stop. Sometimes we would exceed the goal, but at least there was a goal. Tonight, are we going at this offering the right way? I mean, do we have a plan? Do we have a goal, something to shoot at? Oh, I know what our tentative goal is, uh, but I'm talking about do you have a goal? Do you have a plan? I believe God would be pleased tonight if we started on point A but found ourselves at point C. So point number A tonight, point number A, that's a pretty intelligent statement. You know it's going to be a long drop down when you're calling alphabetical letters numbers. But anyway, point letter, <laughs> oh, that's confusing. Never mind, point A, we'll just call it point A. It is God's desire for the offering. God's desire for the offering. Now in Exodus chapter 25, verse number 1, I want you to notice who is the one speaking here? And I've already pointed to it. Verse number 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses. Now it's God saying something to Moses, and in verse 2 he says, Moses, you need to go to the children of Israel, and you need to speak unto them that they bring me an offering. So God, in this passage, has a desire to receive an offering. And I believe, as he's laid on my heart, and he's laid on our senior pastor's heart, God has a desire to take up an offering next week. And he has plans and he has goals and he has things he's going to do with that offering that we probably can't even realize. But God, nonetheless, is desiring an offering. I want you to notice three things about this. First of all, it was to be conceded. Verse number 2, the Bible says in verse 20, uh, chapter 25, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. This, this offering was not a commandment. It was something that God says, I only want an offering from those who are willing to give an offering. And you know what's funny is we've studied this now three weeks. I have found it unique that every single time I've preached a sermon on an offering, this point has been in the, in the sermon. I, I don't much care about repetitive preaching. I believe if it's in the passage, you preach it. And you know what I cannot remove from this passage or any of the other passages that have to do with giving and offering? God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And it boils down to the fact that God knows that if He has your money, He will automatically have your heart. Guys, could you imagine if your wife had the ability to read your mind? That would be a bad deal. Probably wife would no longer be the term you would use to describe her. But it would, it would not be that big a deal except at certain times, like when she burns supper. 
And she says, honey, I cooked these Pillsbury rolls just a little bit longer because I know you like them black on the bottom. And you say, boy, honey, thank you for thinking of me. And you say, well, how do you get out of it? Well, you, you just, you, you always preface every statement you're going to make by, well, I must say, this is the best batch of biscuits you have ever made me. So you're not lying because you have to say it. I must say, these biscuits are bar none the best. Well, you must say it. You're not saying that they are the best, but you have to say it as a husband. It's your obligation to her. Other times it would come in handy is when she goes shopping and she brings home a, a bag of items that she wants you to look at like we actually have enough fashion sense to dress ourselves, much less her. And so she wants our stamp of approval on those items. And she say, oh, honey, I went to Ross today. I, I, I got this deal. And she pulls up this dress and it looks like the bath curtain at a Motel 6. Not the see-through one. What do you think my wife's been wearing? You look at that dress and you say, boy, I bet that'll look great on you. That'd be bad if she could really imagine what you, if she could really see. The whole time you're like, I hope my cheeks aren't blushing. I hope my... <laughs> I know I always get on to her because sometimes when you lie, and this is just a, a scientific thing, there are certain gives, giveaways that people do. In fact, if you uh, blink immediately when you answer, did you know that most of the time that's a telltale sign someone's lying? So if somebody looks at me and says, oh, yeah, I, I say, you blinked. <laughs> and so I always do, I go through my checklist of all these little tells that I can't do as I lie to my what, what, not lie. As I love my wife, that would probably be the best way to say that. But did you know in reality, God sees your heart. And He knows your mind. And outward acts do nothing to impress our God. The Bible says that God desires truth in the inward parts. It doesn't matter if you write the largest check in the whole congregation... If God only has the check and He doesn't have your heart, He'll send it back. He doesn't want that. He wants your heart. It was an offering that was to be conceded. It was not commanded, but it was conceded. Secondly, it was to be costly. Look in verse number 3. The Bible says in, uh, in verse number 3 of chapter 25, And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, and blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hairs, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and shittim wood, and oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones. And, and it goes on and on and on, but you get the picture, right? It wasn't bring your God your seconds. It wasn't bring Him what is convenient. God says, I want an offering, and I want you to give willingly of your very best. He wanted them to give their gold. Now, I don't know much about gold. I, I really couldn't even begin to, to tell you a little bit about, you know, the carrot and what that means. I think the higher the carrot, the more pure the gold. I'm not exactly sure, but I know I have a brother who's made a lot of money on gold. He's a jeweler. 
And so he buys gold and then he takes it up to sell it. One day he bought some gold and he went up to Dallas to sell his gold. And on his way to Dallas, he thought he needed a haircut. And so he stopped and got his haircut. And within the hour that he got his haircut, gold prices had dropped severely. So he literally, if he had driven straight through, he'd have made a lot more money than if he had stopped and got the haircut. That was a really expensive haircut, Dave said. But gold, we understand, is extremely expensive and very valuable, even to us in a society who has plenty. It's silver and brass and and the most precious stones and the most precious garments. Here's what I am so scared of. This offering is an opportunity. It's not an obligation. It is something for you to have a part in something bigger than you. And I hope you don't go the easy way out. I mean, I don't much care if you read my article. If, you know, I put it in there because they asked me to. It doesn't matter to me, but essentially the article states it ought to cost you something. It ought to be valuable. And this offering was to be costly in the very same way. David at the threshing floor of Ornan looks at Ornan and he's willing to give David all these things so that he can sacrifice unto God. And David said, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David said, how could I give to my God who has given me so much? How could I give him out of second-rate stuff? Oh, if I'm going to give to him, it's going to cost me something. So as you begin to pray and you begin to uh, figure out what God wants you to give, don't go the easy route. Make sure it costs you something. Thirdly, it was to be constructive. This is very important for you to understand. God asks for this offering. And God asks for this tabernacle to be built. But may I say, our God is not so vain that He needs things built in honor of Him. In fact, I believe quite the contrary. I don't think God's pleased when we idolize and promote crosses. I I don't believe God is pleased when we get Christian trinkets such as a lighthouse or a fish and we make them something bigger than they are. We were to never look at symbols and, and idolize them or promote them. Christ is the only thing that deserves honor. And so our God is not so vain that He has to ask for honor. Like other gods in the Bible, like old Nebuchadnezzar making an idol unto himself because he was vain, he was insecure about himself. Our God's not that way. So why did he do it? Verse number 8 tells us the exact reason why he asks for this. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You see, it goes much, much deeper than just, oh, God wanted a a tabernacle built. It goes much deeper than God wanted somewhere for people to worship. No, it was the fact that people had lost the security that God was with them every moment of every day. Even though they had been following a, a pillar of fire, and even though they had been following a cloud by day, they would lose the security that God was with them. And so God says... 
Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle right in the center of the camp so that every time someone goes to market and passes that tabernacle, they'll say, God is with us. Every time they go down the street to visit a neighbor, they'll see the tabernacle and they'll see that God's presence is in the camp. It was much deeper than just building something for God. God took this offering. God built this tabernacle for them. For their benefit. As a reminder that he still could do a work in their own life. A lot of times we get the idea as we take up these offerings that they're somehow meant for uh, other people or they're meant to go to certain tasks or, or things that the pastor decides. You know who this offering benefits the most? You. You know why? Because every once in a while you need to sacrifice for the one who sacrificed for you. Every once in a while you need a reminder that God is still worthy of Our very, very best. That's who it's for. God's not so vain that he needs check number 1,432 ripped out of your first financial checkbook. No, 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 no. That's not our God. God is so awesome that he deserves check number 144, whatever I said. God deserves it. He wasn't taking this offering for himself. He was taking it for them. And I believe if we will open our eyes, we will see that as well. They went from groves and altars to being able to look at a beautiful tabernacle. We have a beautiful building, and as Dad explained this morning, the church is not this this building. The church is every single one of you. Uh, The church has never saved anyone. We have led people to Christ. We are the ones that go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in to meet a Savior. So the church is who this offering is for. God's desire for the, point, for the offering is point A. Point B is this, man's decision in the offering. You see, God desires an offering, but every man must des- decide for himself what he's going to do when God requests it. Take your Bible to Exodus chapter 35, and we'll see their reaction, how they handle this. Exodus chapter number 35, verse number 20. Moses is now introducing them to exactly what God's plan is and what he needs from them. He's introducing the offering. And this is the folks' reaction in verse number 20 of chapter 35. The Bible says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, And everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service and for for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted. Y'all with me? Do y'all see how many times the Bible makes sure to say that? Don't, Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It oozes out of the Bible. As many as were willing-hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and all jewels of gold. And every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hairs and and red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering. And every man with whom was found shittim wood for any work of the service brought it. And all the women whose heart stirred them up in wisdom, spun goat's hair, 
And the rulers, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse there. And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and spice and and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. And the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing. Man, it's sure saying that a lot, isn't it? Every man whose heart made them willing to bring forth all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. I want you to notice two things about this. First of all, people brought what they could. People brought what they could. You see, the widow could never give as much as Zacchaeus. She didn't have that much. And if you look down through there, as we read all that, some could give an offering of gold. But some could only give an offering of cloth. But it was an offering nonetheless. And it was an offering of their very best. People brought what they could. There's some of you in here tonight that writing a, 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 a ten of thousands of dollar check to this church is no big deal. And there's some of us that writing a ten dollar check tonight would just break the bank and we'd have to tell our wife, no more Snickers bars, we're broke. But God is pleased, not with the amount, as we've already seen, He's pleased with the heart behind the offering. But you make sure that you don't use that as your cop-out. Well, I can only spring for this much. When I sat down to make a budget for my wife and I, I took our bank statement from a month, and it was a month of normal activity, and I saw every expenditure that we had for that month come out of that account. And I used that month as my standard. I I took a premium. You know, this is how much we spend here. I highlighted every category. I broke it down into this is what we spend on food. This is what we spend on insurance. This is what we spend here. This is what we spend here. I add a little little bit to it. And then I made and formed me a budget. You know, one of the most shocking things to me in that budget was the fact that my wife and I spend nearly $300 a month on food that we don't eat at our house. We go to Quick Trip and we buy snacks and we go to Sonic and we buy food and we go to Arby's and we buy food and we go to, you know, real nice restaurants like McDonald's and Whataburger and we buy food. You know, it blew me out of the water. I was spending $300 on fast food a month. And you look at me and say, well, Brother Andrew, that's kind of absurd. I challenge you to do the same thing. See, you're willing to spend money on what you think is important. And we could use that whole cop-out excuse. Oh, well, Brother Andrew, I tell you, it's just a hard time for me and the wife. Oh, really? Then uh, why, why are you eating out at Outback every weekend? It's not that hard. Challenge God to do something amazing in your life. Stretch yourself. And if you have to take quick trip trips out of the budget, go ahead, do it. So, <laughs> one day I was at Starbucks. And this lady was talking to the person behind the counter like, like she uh, knew them very well. And I saw she paid in cash. And I go, ma'am, do you come here often? She goes, twice a day. 
I said, why, why are you paying with cash? Not many people use cash anymore. She said, well, that's so my husband doesn't see it on the account. Could you imagine spending nearly $10 a day, probably even more than that, at Starbucks? You, that breaks out to uh, 30 days at $10 a day. Somebody help me with that math. That's uh, $300. $3,000? Oh, it's like Aggie math? What are you doing? Am I I'm like carrying the zero? Could you imagine that? I bet if we were honest with ourselves, we may not be as obsessed with Starbucks as that lady is, but we have stuff we could cut out for our God. What is the big deal if we uh, downgrade from the uh, store brand name to the Great Value brand or the Harvest Hills brand for just a little bit, maybe because our God could deserve that little bit of us? I bet if you thought about it long and hard, you could figure out a way to give something to your God that you could bring what you could. I believe we could. Not only did they bring what they could, I want you to notice this. The people did what they could. Now, verse 25, verse 26, I want you to see this. Not only did they bring their offering, and all the women that were wise-hearted, did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun. Now, I don't remember ever reading that in God's command. Do you? I remember an offering was to be brought, and I remember that it was to include all these different items, but I don't ever remember God saying that anybody had to do any manual labor in the task. But the Bible goes on to say, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen, and all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. If you read on in the passage, the Bible says that men began to work and craftsmen began to build. And it was much deeper than just bringing an offering. But when people's money was invested, they themselves were invested. You see, the Bible teaches us that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's the reason God makes a big deal of our money is because he knows if he has our money, he has our heart. One of the most fun and unique and stressful times in this church's history was when we were building this building right here. I was very young when it happened, but I remember coming up here every single day and working. I remember coming up here every Saturday and we would have church work days. And we would have people come up and, you know, Brother Billy, he's just knocking stuff out, zing, zing, cutting all this uh, uh, wood for all the banisters. Man, Brother Billy's just a go-getter. He's on the lift spraying that stuff, and we're all like, Brother Billy, can you get some on the roof and not so much on us, you know? And he's just, he's just working, man. He's a go-getter, and, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to cut these things. I, I don't know. Even the people that couldn't do like the really unique and elaborate things. Did y'all know those are styrofoam, all that stuff up there? Did y'all know that? I thought it would be like some nice. No, it's styrofoam. We're cheap. I just, but Billy, you should put that nice stuff up there. Even though I couldn't cut styrofoam, I couldn't design any of this. You know what I did? I went around picking up nails. 
Because I realized that nails hurt people's feet when they penetrated them. And flat tires on tractors. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to paint a picture of, uh, you know, and lie to you. A lot of times I played with my friends on Saturday. It was like, ha, ha, tag your it with a nail, you know, so that was good. We had a good time, but I remember that was one of the funnest times in our church history. And the reason I added the stressful part is because our balcony at one point was four foot high. Now, I'm six feet tall. I could not have walked under the balcony that was four feet high. So we had a lot of stress involved there. But man, our church has never been more unified in our history. You know why? Because we were all behind one goal, pressing forward, charging forward. And people not only brought what they could, but they were doing what they could. Even a little child like me was doing something. And I just believe it's pleasing to God, not only when you bring, but when you begin to serve. That's what God calls us to be, servants in His kingdom. So we've gone through point A, God's desire for the offering. Point B, man's decision in the offering. I want you to see this. Arriving at point C, arriving at your destination, God's destination for the offering. Exodus chapter 36. I want to read a few verses and we're almost done. Verse number 1. The Bible says in chapter 36, Then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. See, those were their brother Billy's. Those were their brother Butch's. God had specifically placed men who had this trade, this heart for craftsmanship. And that's, I'm thankful for brother, Will, brother Billy. If we didn't have Brother Billy around here, I'm telling you, we'd spend a lot more on this building. Y'all don't even know. Now, we, we, what we saved, we paid him, so we came out about even. But God placed these people for the specific purpose of doing the work according to all that the Lord had commanded, verse 2, And Moses called Bezalel and Holiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come into the work to do it. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it with all. Now, y'all think our offering is bad. We do it one time a year. Look at this. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. Could y'all imagine that before y'all head out on work? Y'all stop by and give us a little bit of your paycheck you're going to earn that day? That's what they did every morning. That's amazing. And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it, and too much. What an amazing outcome. It wasn't just a few chapters ago God gave Moses this command, Moses, I want an offering. And I'm sure on the front side of the offering, Moses is like, now God, I deal with these people on a day-to-day -day basis. They are tight. 
You don't want to deal with these people. God, I, I'm not sure we can get this type of offering out of them that you're wanting. And sooner and later, God does a work in their heart. God does a work in their life. And a miracle takes place. I have two bits of good news for you and we're done tonight. First of all, he wants to do a work in our hearts. Verse number two. The Bible says, then right. Uh, and Moses called Bezalel in the holy heaven, every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come into the work to do it. Let's be very honest with one another. We need a good stirring. I love drinking chocolate milk before I go to bed. My dad got me hooked on it. Man, I tell you, it's a bad, bad deal. We... I told y'all a story about going to work, and we'd come back every night at 2 a.m., and me and Dad would grab a big old, you know, leader. Uh, is that what that is? A, a, a quart. Yeah, a quart. And we would drink a, a, a quart apiece. And so by the time you got home, you were so drunk on milk, you couldn't do anything else but pass out. As you walked to the room, you just heard, you lay down in your bed, you thought you was on a water bed, but that was your belly, it was just so full. And I love drinking chocolate milk. But you know what's bad about chocolate milk is, if it doesn't stay stirred, it don't stay tasty. The first bit may be a little watered down, but once you get to the bottom, it'll be nothing but chocolate. You know what you have to do? I've learned that I just leave my spoon in it. I put my cup up, I put my milk in, I do my powder, or whether I do my powder, I do the syrup, and I just leave the spoon in it. And I know Amy thinks I'm crazy that she sees all these cups around the house with just one spoon sticking out the side, nothing in the bottom of them. But as I'm drinking it, I get poked in the eye by the spoon, you know, because I'm intelligent like that. And then I have to get it up here to the top, and I'm poking myself in the forehead with it, you know, because it's an it's a entertaining thing. I'll post it on YouTube later. Y'all can watch it. I'm sure it'll go viral. But you know what I've noticed? If you don't continually stir it, taste ain't there. It loses its, it loses its taste. We need a good stirring. We need to be stirred by our God. We need God to do a work in some of our hearts. It's been too long for some of us. It's been far too long since we've hit this altar with tears in our eyes saying, God, thank you for what you've done. God, do something in my life. God, show me the type of father you want me to be. God, do something in my life. We need that. We need to be stirred. And the Bible says because of this offering and because of this work, God was able to use it to stir these people's lives. And I wonder what you would pay for a good stirring. I looked up three of the most expensive things. I looked up the most expensive car to ever sell at auction. This car was a 1962 Ferrari 250 GTO. Now, I don't know that much about cars, but 250 kind of sounds small. I'd be like, I want a Ferrari 600 billion GTO, but just just me. If I'm going to buy something expensive, I want it to have a big number in it, not 250. That's a little weak. But this car recently sold at auction for $34.65 million. I had a picture of it, but like a goofball, I didn't send it to JT, so it's not his fault. And I'll be honest with you, it's kind of an unimpressive vehicle. Ugly. 
And if you were to go try finding the battery in that thing, I bet you couldn't because it's foreign. You'd be looking under the front. It'd be back there in the rear under the tire somewhere. You wouldn't even know where to work on that thing at. It's $34 million. I looked at the most expensive type of dog breed to own. And uh, blue ticks were not on the list, contrary to popular belief. And really low on the blue tick list was dogs that had previously been owned by Gene Wolfenbarger. <laughs> but I, I was looking up several types. Did you know a Rottweiler is actually really high on that list? That surprised me, but a, a high-quality Rottweiler was nearly $8,000 for a, a one dog. I, I would need like 8,000 dogs for that price. So that, that's not a good deal, but... As I looked it up and I, I did a little research, there were conflicting reports, but one that I found on a consistent basis and at a consistent price range was a dog, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how to pronounce. I looked it up, I had to put it in dictionary.com, figure out how they pronounced it. So this is how they pronounced it. Sam Mood, because the monotone voice. It was a, oh nice, JT, that's what I'm talking about. He just looked that up on Google Images and found that dude. JT, you are a stud. You can deserve a raise. You're not getting one, but you deserve one. Man, I tell you what, look at that. Technology, we can get a thermometer if we can find that car. Tell you, does that car even look like it's worth $34, much less $34 million? Uh, we got some people saying yes. The dog was called a Samoyed. It was S-A-M-O-Y-E-D, if you want to look it up, JT. <laughs> this dog was one of the fluffiest, ugliest fuzzballs I've ever seen. They're solid white. And they've got uh, like this mane almost looking thing. But the unique thing about them is when they, when they pant, they smile. I thought it was creepy, but apparently people are willing to pay for it. But these dogs, the, the cheapest you can get into one of these dogs, and I assume this is like the runt of the litter that got trapped under a house and they had to pull it out and scars all over, I don't know, but the cheapest one you can own is $4,000. And they go up to about $11,000. Now that's not the high quality end of the line, that's just a, 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 an average range on these dogs. I looked up the most expensive house ever purchased in the United States of America, and there were some around the world that were, you know, a little bit higher, but there was a house in Segaponak, New York. I guess they call it the Fairfield, I don't know. But they paid, uh, according to a 2012 tax assessment, this house cost $248 million to build. This house has 29 bedrooms, 39 bathrooms, so apparently a lot of people use the restroom who don't sleep. <laughs> I guess it's one of those public type restrooms where you just stop in and you're, yeah, go to one of the 39, but you can't sleep because we already have 29 guests, so yeah, too much chocolate milk, I guess. It has three swimming pools, and the unique thing about this house is it has its own power plant on the, on the compound there. It has its own. And it's, so it's like a beachfront, $248 million. Would you imagine 
There are some crazy things to spend your money on in this world, are there not? I mean, you can spend as much money as you want to spend, or as you can spend, or as your credit card will allow you to spend. You can spend and spend and spend and still not be happy. To some people, a house is worth $248 million. To some, a, a car is worth $34 million. Let me ask you this. What's it worth to feel your God doing something in your life? I mean, if a Porsche goes for $34 million, what is the value of God working in wicked men's lives? If a house could be nearly a quarter of a billion dollars, what is the value of holy perfection working in corrupted imperfection? What is the value on that? To some of us, it's not very much. I just believe we ought to place a higher value on being stirred. We ought to place a higher value on God allowing us to have the opportunity to do something for Him so beyond even what we can comprehend. I just believe if you give in this offering, things will happen that you won't even know about until you get to heaven. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? He wants to do a work in our heart. And then secondly, He wants to do a miracle in our presence. Verse number 5, I want you to see this and we'll be done. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work, which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Now, you have to agree with me a little bit. People are pretty tight these days, and we have every right to be tight because every, every company that has an open sign on their door wants me to spend my money in their building. The bar gets most of it, but every other one, you know, every company from, you know, pest control to pizza wants me to spend my hard-earned money at their facility. And so over the course of time, we've gotten tight, haven't we? We only spend our money in places we've thought of, and we, we, we know them. And I'll tell you what, I'll use a Christian company long before I'll use any other type of company. I, it's just me. Other than Chick-fil-A, I don't much like Chick-fil-A, but I support them spiritually, but I don't like Chick-fil-A. So, But, you know... We have, we have, over time, gotten a little tight. Could you imagine trying to work with a bunch of Jews who don't have much to begin with, and now Moses is having to call on them and say, we need an offering. And in fact, this isn't going to be your normal offering. This is going to be a special offering, an offering we're going to build a, a beautiful tabernacle unto our God, and God's going to abide in that tabernacle. We're going to take the very, very best and the most most very, very valuable things. And it's going to be an amazing thing. Could you imagine me and Moses trying to sell that? That'd be tough. Because these people were tight. I have to believe that we probably are a little bit like them in the fact that we share some tightness with them. But I also believe that God couldn't do the miracle that he was wanting to do if people didn't loosen up. 
You see, we are the only beings that limit God. Isn't that a shame? We limit Him on what He can do in our own lives. We limit Him on how effective the gospel gets out to this lost and dying world. We limit Him so much. But they were never going to see a cloud come down in the center of their camp until this offering took place. I mean, a genuine miracle. And I personally believe that God's still in the business of doing miracles. I believe it's a miracle when a teenager comes forward and gets saved. I believe it's a miracle when a teenager follows them in believer's baptism like we saw this morning. I believe it's a miracle when a family who is lost their way and the husband and the wife aren't getting along anymore and the children uh, show no respect for either parents. I believe it's a miracle when that family comes in joins this church, learns a little bit about the Bible, and they finally get some grounding and some roots in the Word of God, and amazing things begin to take place. I believe that's a miracle I want to see every day. God's still in the business of doing miracles. And I believe He's got one waiting for us. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if it's going to be a Red Sea crossing type deal, or I don't know if it's going to be a, a healing the leper. I don't know if it's going to be something amazing where everybody gets to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, or I don't know if it's going to be something private where Jesus says, look, don't even tell anybody about this miracle. I don't know what the miracle is, but you've got to trust there's one coming. But it can only work in the hearts of people who are willing. For God loveth a cheerful gift. It can only work in the hearts of people who want to see something amazing happen in this wicked, wicked day. I tell you what, people come up to me and they say, Brother Andrew, did you, did you hear about that shooting or did you see that there went something, uh, something happened? And I say, no, because I don't watch the news. You know why? It's so much bad news. You turn on the evening news, I get depressed. I need a miracle. I need a miracle because the government seems to be corrupted. I need a miracle because the America that's here today ain't the America that I fell in love with. I need a miracle because churches are shutting their doors at an insanely rapid rate. I need a miracle because churches that I once respected with everything in my being don't look like the same churches that I used to respect. I need a miracle because people's message is softening. I need, a, I need a miracle because the gospel no longer getting preached. Because the gospel involves the death, burial, and resurrected of a deistic son of God. But people are loosening up on even what the deity of Christ is. I need a miracle because we are slipping. I need a miracle. But God needs us to do one. It took a Moses to stand on the side of the Red Sea. It took three Hebrew children to stay standing when everyone else bowed. It was only in the fire they saw the Son of God. It took a Daniel to have, a, have the confidence to go and do his normal daily routine, even though he knew it, dis, uh, he had to disregard the king's commandment. It took an Abraham to have the faith to leave everything he was familiar with to see God's promise in his own life. And it's going to take you to see this offering do something special. It's going to take you deciding that every cent that you have is worth seeing God work in your life and in the life of this church. But I don't know about you. I want to see a miracle.